If you can keep your Bible open, that would be fantastic. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do uh, thank you that we can gather to hear your word this morning. Uh, I pray that as I speak, that I'll speak faithfully from it. Uh, Lord, give me uh, clarity of mind and thought. Uh, And Lord, most of all, we pray that through your spirit, uh, you will convict us of the things that we need to hear. We pray for these things in your son's name. Amen. In Australia, we live in an increasingly post-Christian age. So less people affiliate with Christianity, even on an Easter and Christmas kind of level. Uh, And increasingly, our ethics and values are becoming more and more distinct and different and often in conflict with our Christian heritage. And yet, Jesus continues to be a popular figure. So if I ask someone on the street, you know, what do you like about Jesus? Uh, People would say, you know, we like that he is for loving people, uh, that he is all about tolerance, that he came, you know, to stand up to the establishment and to be an advocate for the poor and the oppressed. And that's an appealing image in our culture that wants God to be for us and who feel entitled to God's favour. It's a Jesus who loves a lot, but expects very little. In the passage that we just read, we're beginning to see the first time that Jesus is out preaching the good news of the gospel. And for the first time, we'll hear Jesus declare his purpose for coming. Uh, It's a timely passage because as we gather to celebrate our 20 years uh, on this site, uh, for us, it is all about gathering to serve in God's purpose. So we love what what God loves and our plans should be a reflection of God's plans. And what Jesus declares is good news. But for those who feel entitled... For those who feel God should be for them, we're going to discover that this is an incredibly bitter pill. And so today I want to have a look at this passage under three titles, very simple. Uh, We've got the messenger, uh, we've got the message, and then finally we want to have a look at what happened to move people from praising him to hating him and wanting to throw him off a cliff. And so our account begins in verse 14. Have a look at it with me. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So Jesus' ministry started out quite literally in the middle of nowhere. The area around Galilee was completely unspectacular. You know, there, there was no sort of uh, major city or centre of power. There was no summer houses for the wealthy. Uh, it was just small country regional Palestine. And each week Jesus would go into one of the local synagogues and he'd proclaim God's word. And the people loved it. And then he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. 
And for the first time, we start to hear his message. This is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And what he's reading from is the book of Isaiah, mostly Isaiah 61. And so Jesus has just stood up in this humble little regional synagogue and he said, Today, the words of the great prophet Isaiah are being fulfilled. And the people love it. It's an outrageous claim. But they think it is fantastic. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. The people loved him and they loved the message. In the social scheme of things, in in regional uh, area like that, they would have related far more with the poor and the oppressed than they would with the rich. And so this was a sociological issue. It was a political issue, it was an economic issue, and it was a spiritual issue. And so in the Old Testament, often when it talks about the poor and the oppressed, it's describing those people who are powerless but desire godliness. And that's put in contrast with the leaders who have the power and have the power to lead people in godliness but instead use their power to exploit them. And so in the words of Isaiah 3, the Lord enters into judgment against the leaders, against the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your house. And so now Jesus has come to do what the leaders of Israel failed to do to fulfil God's promise to overturn the brokenness of humanity and to establish the kingdom of God. And I think at this point there's probably two risks that we face when we read this type of passage. I think the first is just to ignore the Isaiah quote altogether. Uh, We read, you know, God is fulfilling his plans and promises and then we sort of ignore the detail and just just jump straight to the next bit. Uh, The second is perhaps a little more significant and that's when we read a passage like this through the lens and exclusively through the lens of social injustice. And so uh, I was uh, talking to a friend the other day who was uh, presenting and training uh, clergy in a different diocese and at the end of the day uh, one of those clergy sent him a text and said, Thank you for reminding us that the gospel isn't only about social justice. So for people who come from that sort of lens and perspective, they look at it as if it's all about God's kingdom in the present and about overcoming social inequality and social injustice. And I think that the difficulty with that perspective is uh, it ignores the bigger picture of Scripture. 
It reads the Isaiah quote in a particular context, but misses the rest. So, for example, it ignores Luke 5, where he says, Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we go a bit further down in Luke's retelling of events, He recalls the time when Jesus is having a meal at a Pharisee's home and this woman who is known for her sinfulness comes in and she is so overwhelmed with emotion that she wipes his feet with her tears and then dries them with her hair. And then she goes on to kiss his feet and to pour perfume on them. It's a wonderful expression of a woman's love and thankfulness to Jesus. And yes, absolutely, she is one of the socially marginalised. She's one of the people on the outside of society. But at the absolute heart of that event is her recognising her sinfulness. And Jesus concludes by saying, Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. The good news to the poor and the oppressed is that the kingdom of God is coming, and they can look forward to a certain future where the brokenness of this world will be overcome, where there'll be no more poverty, where there'll be no more oppression, where there'll be no more social marginalisation or corruption. But it is a future hope. And Jesus comes to prepare the way to that kingdom. And so he comes and proclaims the gospel and he calls people to follow him and then he leads them. And he leads them first to the cross where he'll pay the price for their sin. God's promises will ultimately and completely be fulfilled in the future. But they are also being fulfilled, at least in part, in the present. What we are seeing right now is a shadow of things to come. And it's not perfected, but it is the present kingdom of God coming into this world. And we see that throughout scripture and we see that in the ministry of Jesus. So Isaiah 58, which we read earlier. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And we continue to see that same message in the ministry of Jesus. So he rebukes the Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees! Because you've given God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And at the risk of over-laboring the point, a good practical example is when Jesus meets Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was a thoroughly corrupt, very short tax collector. And when Jesus meets him uh, up in a tree, which is a little bit of a strange way to meet someone, but he meets him, calls him down from the tree, they have lunch together. We don't know what was said at that lunch, 
But we know that when Zacchaeus comes out from it, he comes out a changed man. Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because, of, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is not about how we are saved into the kingdom of God. This is about what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God and lived as a saved person. When lost people are found, their love for God overflows into their love for others. And it may at times include challenging our social and political structures. And to some extent, we saw Jesus do that when he sat down with the Pharisees. Uh, From our perspective, great to watch, but you can imagine how awkward some of those meals were. Because it didn't go with praise. He often went with rebuke. But also, there are opportunities within our own community. So yes, there are social and political opportunities, but more often than not, Jesus connected with people in their circumstances of life. And as a church, that's what we try to do. We try to do the same thing, don't we? So whether we are focusing, some of our ministries are more focused on speaking the good news to people. Uh, Others are more about supporting those in need. But in everything we do, we are clearly Christian. And the gospel is being clearly proclaimed. It's not about speaking or serving and loving. It's about both. And it's not just about what we can do as a church, but what we can do for each of us in our own communities, in our own contexts. Uh, we all have neighbours. Uh, we all have friends. We all have family. Uh, people in our community. There are opportunities for us to show the love of Christ. You might have the opportunity to provide a listening ear. You might have the opportunity uh, to have a meal with someone each week or to go and sit with someone who is housebound. Open up the Bible with them, pray with them, hear about their life. Uh, Those things are precious and valuable. And it's not conditional. We don't love others so we can share the gospel. We love others and we share the gospel. And sometimes when we share the gospel, they'll reject it. And we continue to love them and we continue to show grace. And we continue to pray that somewhere down the road, that in God's mercy, He will win their heart and mind over. But irrespective of the outcome, as we live in the present, not perfect, kingdom of God, that should overflow into how we love those who are most in need, those who are least able to help themselves. Uh, Before I came here, I was at YouthWorks. Before that, I was uh, in a suburb in Greenacre, uh, which is near uh, Bankstown. 
And uh, I met a young bloke uh, through uh, that church at Punchbowl Boys. He was in our SRE class. He was easy to spot. He was the one and only uh, Anglo-Saxon heritage white Aussie in the school. Uh, and, and good on him. You know, he, he had great friendships. You know, he's a very multicultural school. Uh, but he came from a really complicated background. And so when I met him, or soon after I met him, uh, he was 15. Uh, He moved out of home and lived in a share house. I think his room was a sheeted portion of the kitchen. Uh, There's about 10 other uh, blokes in there. Uh, And for him, he used to live uh, off two-minute noodles and cigarettes. Uh, And then by the end of the two weeks, uh, he was just living off the cigarettes. Uh, He should probably have worked out his priorities a little. Uh, But uh, as time went on, as we got to know this guy, uh, one of the families at church actually took him in uh, as part of their family. So they had four kids of their own. Uh, They weren't uh, an exceptionally wealthy family, uh, but they invited him to be a part of their family. Uh, And they treated him like a son. Uh, He then later became a son-in-law, but that's a whole different story. Uh, But uh, he finished school. Uh, He went to uni. He's now a teacher. Uh, He is now married. Uh, He has three kids. Uh, And he loves Jesus. He's also the guardian of his brother's two kids. And so for him, through that family and through others, they shared the good news of Jesus. But they also showed him what the kingdom of God looks like. You know, perhaps more than most, he knows how good the good news is. And perhaps more than most, he is looking forward to a time when there'll be no more brokenness, where there'll be no more sin, no more pain. Uh, He has seen the consequences of sin. But he's also seen how the grace of God can overcome sin. In the midst of all the complexity of life, you see God is gracious to him. Now, I don't know what opportunities you will have in your life. Uh, Some will be big. That was a a more dramatic one. Uh, Some will be very mundane and never worthy of a particularly good story. Uh, But whatever it is, big or small, how do we show God's love to the people around us? How do we show them what the kingdom of God looks like? Not perfected, still in our sin, still damaged in the slightly wobbly version. But how do we show them the kingdom of God and the hope they can have in Christ? So far, we've delved fairly deeply uh, into this passage from Isaiah. And we now need to sort of come back, uh, after we've taken that journey, back to our passage uh, that we've just looked at. So can I get you to open up your Bible again if you've uh, left it behind? uh, As we now look at what happens next in this story. Because so far, we've got a popular messenger and a popular message But we also know it's not going to end well. And the whole conversation comes unstuck when that synagogue congregation hear what Jesus has to say, 
but then feel entitled to his blessing. And so in verse 23, they say, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. So they've heard what Jesus did down the road in the town of Capernaum. And a physician doesn't just heal his patients. A physician also heals himself. So they're figuring, well, if they got some pretty spectacular things from Jesus, then imagine what we'll get. I mean, we are the hometown. We are the home crowd. Surely if they're blessed, we're going to get blessing and, you know, it's going to be the jackpot. Uh, There's this expectation that they are entitled to the blessing of God. But instead, Jesus declares judgment. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Simply being a biological descendant of Abraham is not enough. Coming from Jesus' hometown is not enough. And to add fuel to the fire, not only will they not receive the coming kingdom of God, but those who least deserve it will. And so Jesus goes on to tell this story of Elijah and Elisha, uh, who go out and show the mercy of God, not to Israel, but to foreigners, to the unclean to those who are completely unworthy of God's blessing. They are outraged. This is a really offensive message. So I want you to imagine uh, that you know, one day your, your parents call you in and they, to talk about their will. It's a slightly morbid story. Stay with me. Uh, and you know, they, they say, look, we're, we're pleasantly surprised uh, that it's larger than we anticipated. Uh, but... We're cutting you out of the will. You can imagine, you'd be completely outraged. You go, this is my family inheritance. I'm entitled to the benefits of being in the family. Uh, but then even worse still, they say, we're actually going to give it to your second cousin. You know, your second cousin has never met your parents. They probably won't even come to the funeral. He's got a lip ring. (laughs) Or a cat. You can decide which is more offensive. (laughs) But you you get the sense of offence here. You know, this is an outrageous statement. And it won't be the last time that God's people will reject him. So in Luke 11, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the day of judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here. It's the same in our culture, isn't it? You know, we, we like you know, the image of you know, Jesus who loves little lambs. Uh, we even like social justice Jesus, uh, Jesus who challenges the establishment. But we don't like it when Jesus challenges our sense of entitlement we don't just who doesn't just offer blessing but calls us to repent and believe and to follow him and it is good news jesus comes to declare salvation to the world 
Salvation from the consequences of sin, both now and into eternity. But for many, they will see it as a threat to their right and entitlement to do what they want, how they want. And in the same way that Jesus stood up and proclaimed the good news to a crowd that didn't want to hear it, we need to proclaim the good news without fear or favour. I think our fear is uh, that people will hate us for it. We fear that we will become the socially marginalised. I suspect for many of us, we'd actually prefer to share the gospel with a stranger as little as we would like to door knock, uh, but that would be easier than sharing it with the people who are most closely connected to our lives because there's a relational risk there. But isn't it tragic that potentially the people we love the most, we talk to the least about Jesus? And when it comes to favour, I think the temptation is to water down the gospel and to focus on all the positive bits, to, to focus on joy and hope and peace, which are all true but to sort of skip the bits which sound a little more challenging to our culture and to our sense of freedom. You know, talking about sin and the need to repent and taking up your cross and following Jesus as Lord and Saviour. It's a challenging passage, isn't it? Because even though Jesus starts out so popular, where they praise him for his words and for his eloquence, They love it, but actually they don't love the message. And that's a challenge to us, isn't it? You know, do we love people enough to share with them the whole gospel of God? And do we love them enough to show them the love of Jesus, to show them the compassion of Christ, so that not only will they hear the gospel, but they will see how the kingdom of God impacts the world right now and our hope for an even better future. Amen.